Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm talking to the cops here. I'm literally 10 feet away from the drug dealers talking to you guys. Why don't you just go arrest them right now? And they're like, arrest them for what? And I'm like, dude, what the He's like, San Francisco is a sanctuary city. We arrest the Hondurans. We put them in jail. They're out two days later. Right. Michael Schellenberger taking to the streets of San Francisco, interviewing the quote-unquote homeless people. And we'll explain specifically why I say quote-unquote homeless. That is a misleading term to a large extent. And, boy, the conversations he's had is so interesting. Yeah, and uh, this is my new line of thinking on the whole drug addicts on the street story. How about we talk to the people that are on the street and then people that have gotten off the street and have them play a role in making the uh, solution as opposed to people with master's degrees in social planning and politicians um, still talking about it being a housing crisis, which it's not. It's a drug crisis. Yeah, exactly. Pronouncing from the ivory tower what's happening down in the grubby, grubby streets below. It's unbelievable. So this stuff is so good. Now, some of the audio is a little scratchy, but maybe turn up your radio a little bit and and listen best you can. Michael, let's just start with clip 30 and we'll go from there. Where are you from? Uh, Louisiana, Texas. How long have you been in San Francisco? Since uh, June. You're going to be homeless. It's pretty easy here. I mean, if we're going to be realistic, they pay you to be homeless here. When you said that San Francisco pays people to be homeless, what did you mean by that? <laughs> you mean that literally? Yeah. I mean, I get 620 bucks a month, dude. From general assistance? Yeah. Or what'd you get? How was that hard to get? Phone call, bro. Wow. A phone call. 200 food stamps and 620 bucks cash a month. Wow. Forget about it. Why wouldn't I do it? You know? free money, dude. Yeah. So 620 bucks in general assistance and 200 bucks in food stamps a month with a single phone call for being a junkie. Free money, bro. Keep Not in mind, exactly free. Keep in mind the, oh, yeah, yeah, good. Oh, shut up, taxpayer. Um, uh, keep in mind the gent who uh, Schellenberger talked to yesterday who said he estimated that roughly 6 7% of the people on the streets in San Francisco are, are native San Franciscans or, or have lived there most of their lives. The other, he estimates, 93% or so have come in because it's so attractive to be a junkie so, in San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, whatever. So by definition, you moved from a less expensive place to a more expensive place because you can't hardly get a more expensive place in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So people are choosing to go to a more expensive place, which destroys your argument that it's a housing crisis. Google and Amazon drove up the prices of apartments, and now people are crack addicts in the street, um, but people are moving from all over to cities that will hand out money, like Portland and Seattle and L.A. and San Francisco and various other places around the country. So the tent camps are drug camps, and James, who's the a gentleman who's taking his time with Mr. Schellenberger, explains uh, the lifestyle in 31. This right now is, is literally by choice. Literally by choice. Like, why would I want to pay rent? I'm not doing I got a cell phone that I have Amazon Prime and Netflix on. We used to battle with the cops. Now, it's like the cops are... It's like they're your neighbor, you know? The cops told us uh, this morning, like, oh, it'd be easier if you guys packed up in the morning. We wouldn't have to come out here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, 
back up your in the morning. And I'm like, why? You know? It's like, oh, okay, and then went on. So that one confuses me a little bit. What's going on there? Okay, he talks about how the cops uh, in the neighborhood said, you guys ought to pack up and go. And he's like, why? I'm not leaving anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I got my tent. I got uh, I got Netflix on my smartphone. I've got Amazon Prime. Guy's got Amazon Prime. Uh, and, and so he's, uh, and because there's no law enforcement, those no camping ordinances, there's nothing, the cops say you ought to move along. He says, I'm not gonna. Yeah, so there's nothing to charge them with. Right. So and, and the prosecutor wouldn't prosecute anyway. I just wanted to point that out because, you know, it makes me think, why don't the cops kick him out of there? But they don't have any legal authority to do that right. currently. Right. And so uh, one aspect of this, and we've talked about it a little bit, is there are now open-air drug markets in San Francisco and the other big blue cities where drug dealers, frequently uh, Hondurans, Salvadoran gangs, whatever, are openly selling hard drugs to people, including tons and tons of fentanyl, which kills far more people than COVID in these cities. And here James explains the the, the customers of these open-air drug markets include children, literally children, 32. Two kids came up and they're like, hey, you guys know where to get the Oxycontin? They're like, I'm 15 and I'm 16, you know, like, I'm an old school junkie, you know? And I'm like, Uh, look, dude, I'm going to tell you right now, like, you're not going to get Oxycontin out here on the street. I was like, how much money are you trying to spend? And they're like, we got $40. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to take your money. And I went and I got a fentanyl. And I brought it back and I set it down in front of them. And I said, this is a gram of fentanyl. This is enough to kill six people that have never used it. What I do to get high is this much. And I showed them how much I do. Wow. God dang it. Uh, if you're listening, um, don't do that. Don't decide, oh. you know, I'm going to do fentanyl for the first time. Don't ever do it. But I'm going to I'm going to decide to start doing fentanyl, fentanyl and then and then I'm going to get my advice from that dude sitting on the street of how much to take that he randomly bought from somebody I who knows where it came from. Well, right. I mean, yeah. there's so many levels of that being a bad idea. Holy crap. At least James has a human soul, and he's trying to help these kids on on some level. His lessons continue. I was like, I'm keeping your money, and now I'm going to teach you how to save each other's lives because you're not going to stop. I can't steer you away from doing it, but the best thing I can do for you now is give you real drugs and show you how to do it properly and show you how to save your friend's life. And I showed him how to pull up Narcan and how to inject each other with the Narcan needle in case they die. I needed the money. Let's let's be honest. God dang it! I I, I can't stop thinking as a dad of a ten year old and about to be twelve year old. I know every generation thinks it's more dangerous for their kids out there than when they were younger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But man, the drug world thing. The as as you uh, what were you quoting? Where you said, they said there's just no casual drug use. There's no there's no such thing as safe casual casual drug use anymore. That was uh, the gent who wrote that uh, the book that was excerpted in uh, in the Atlantic, who we interviewed for an XL podcast. Because His of name the escapes fentanyl me, but, and uh, and what they've yeah. done to meth. Yeah, yeah. The the idea. Long story short, uh, is that you know if you just want some cocaine or or some meth or whatever. Um, well, meth is pretty addictive, but if the dealer can put a little fentanyl in there, you're now a customer for life because you'll become addicted to it so quickly. Oh, that's frightening. Right. And so they, they get it to, to hook you. So, um, cause once you're a, an addict, all bets are off. Now you're stealing from mom's purse. 
or, you know, stealing a bike here and there. Or what, I mean, quickly. Oh, yeah. Because you got to have some money. you got to get the drugs somewhere. Right, right. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm struck by Pete Buttigieg with his utterly unrealistic unicornian, we want to go to zero traffic deaths, but there's nobody on the left who will acknowledge the incredible drug problem that's causing the so-called homeless problem. Um, James, the gent we've been talking to, uh, illustrates how dangerous it is in clip 36, Michael. Have you seen people OD out here? Oh, yeah, dude. I've saved six people's lives last week. Were they I've met before? What were they using? Fentanyl, banging fentanyl. And you know what? I'll tell you something. All the Narcan balls that I save people's lives with, these ones, I clean them out and I wrap gold around them and I sell them to this gay dude up in Castro. He pays me sixty-five bucks for each Narcan. That's that's interesting. Yeah. And and then finally Ben, who we featured yesterday in thirty-seven. People are, are people on the street because they want to be on the street? Definitely addiction is the main driving force. And then after that, you're in a position to where you, you're, you're stuck. Like, you can't really go back. It's hard to go from, oh, okay, I'm done being homeless now. I'm going to just turn my life around and, and all of that, especially with addiction. So it's doable and it's possible. And I, I hope to do it someday. But. That's Ben, who uh, was interviewed yesterday and was talking about how he supports his habit by boosting. Uh, shoplifting, you know, he's the guy who who stuffs his backpack full in CVS and walks out casually, unmolested. And there are two main reasons I think for why the left doesn't talk about the drug problem we have on the streets. One, the whole notion of you don't blame the victim; they're a victim of the dr- dr- drug addiction. You don't want to blame them. And then the homeless industrial complex. There are billions of dollars committed. If we shift away from the premise of it being a housing thing to a drug thing, wait a second. What were all those? What do we need the billions of dollars for? Or how are you going to spend it? They don't want to blow that up. Right, right. You know, it's funny. It just popped into my head the uh, the famous uh, illustration of uh, I can't remember who who is known for this. Where A and B get together? Is it Milton Friedman or? Uh... One of your great conservative thinkers. A and B decide they're going to solve the problems of C. And A and B take X's money to do that. X being the taxpayer, obviously. X is the forgotten man. Nobody wants to know what X thinks. Well, it occurs to me that there's another letter involved, and I should know this. I grew up in Chicago, which was so rife with corruption centered around so-called civil rights organizations or neighborhood aid societies or whatever. There's A and B decide to solve the problems of C. They take the money from X, and it ends up in the pocket of D. And D is really enthusiastic about keeping these programs going because D and D's cousins and siblings and friends and common-law wife or whatever, they're all making their living off of it well we need to bring in f and u yes yes i see what you did there so schellenberger wrote this i think it's brilliant commit this to memory everybody get it tattooed on your inner thigh oh boy almost everything people believe about quote-unquote homelessness is wrong the word homeless is a propaganda word designed to mislead you into thinking the people on the street are there because they are poor, rather than because they are suffering from untreated mental illness and addiction. You can't possibly solve a problem until you've identified it correctly. Obviously. Yeah, and and the cruelty of hanging on to your conceit as a grad student in uh, Soch, 
that it's just it's just poverty and it's uh, the uh, the uh, white supremacist state and and capitalism the irredeemable capitalism as AOC was pointing out the other day and not being honest about the real problem so sacrificing the thousands of overdose lives and just the ruined lives on the altar of your enlightenment you can't admit. It's just a grubby drug problem. No, it's it's got to be this grand complex scheme that you were told about by your professors, and you're going to dismantle capitalism. That's how we're going to solve it. You're not willing to get your hands dirty and actually deal with the real problem. It's a conceit of the paternalistic left. I've got an update on the guy that got the pig heart. Do you remember that story? Who could forget old pig heart? <laughs> and a bunch of other things to talk about. Stay with us. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is one of the creepiest things about Disney. If you've ever been on the riverboat or the railroad, you've probably seen the Native American animatronics. The animatronics actually stay on all night, even after the park has closed. And this isn't the only set of animatronics that never turns off. So do the small world animatronics. The music turns off and so do the lights, but... The dolls are moving 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So creepy. That is creepy. It's just easier to leave them on than start them back up again, or? I'd imagine it's something very basic and mechanical-ish. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. Anyway, that is creepy. Oh, for some reason that gives me chills. They're just smiling and dancing all night long in the black of night, like some sort of demon right at the... The gates of Stonehenge. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> um, I was going to tell you about the guy with the pig heart. He's uh, We're a month into it. He's still alive, and I assume delicious. Uh, oh. He, I was going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this instead. So he's fine. And uh, pig organs are looking more and more like the answer to the whole there aren't enough organs to go around problem. So I call them porkins. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, we like Jason. Hey, Michael liked it. We like Jason Riley around here. He writes an uh, opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal. Smart black guy, which I got to mention because it's got to do with the story. Um, why aren't there more black coaches in the NFL? When this story first hit the scene, what two weeks ago or whenever, it was such a giant splash, and I ne- I never got the details that made sense to me. Every angle of it always seemed to me like, well, I don't I don't see the obvious problem here there aren't enough black coaches in the nfl that is a problem i mean there there's obviously i was going to say suspiciously but that's not the right word the the maybe just mathematically there's just so few black nfl coaches throughout history given the fact that most of the players are black mm-hmm. yeah certainly in the last 20 years it's 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 odd jason riley writes one reason is that teams don't want to hire somebody they can't fire without being labeled racist Oh, let me read a little of his uh, piece because I thought it was pretty interesting. Not long after Barack Obama became president, he made an appearance on The Late Show with David Letterman. It was September 2009, and the administration's plans to overhaul the U.S. healthcare system had not been going over well in the polls. Some people, including former President Jimmy Carter, were insisting that criticism of Obama was racially motivated. Asked about it on Letterman, Mr. Obama demurred. It's important to remember that I was actually black before the election. 
Mr. Obama's response was not only classy and amusing, but it was based on a certain logic that seems lost on those who are quick to reach for the race card. Last week, Brian Flores, who was recently fired as head coach of the Miami Dolphins, filed a lawsuit against the National Football League, alleging the league discriminates against black coaches. But Mr. Flores was also black when he was hired. It's no secret that professional sports has a long, ugly history of racial exclusion, and it's certainly possible that the Dolphins organization is guilty of discriminatory hiring practices. But is it plausible? Dolphins owner Stephen Ross ran the blackest organization in the NFL, Jason Whitlock has observed in a recent column. At one time, his head coach, general manager, assistant general manager, defensive coordinator, and several members of his ownership were all black. At what point did Mr. Ross become a bigot? When he decided to fire Brian Flores? And so he's making the point that you're in a bind where if you have a black coach and you fire them, even if you've got the blackest organization in, a, in, in the NFL, maybe in all of pro sports, you're going to be accused of racism or somebody's going to at least try to make the claim. So what is the least risk averse thing to do? Hire a white guy. That's what Jason Riley's arguing in the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if you buy it or not, but. I've actually seen that allegedly perhaps a long time ago in the workplace. Somebody was sharp but dangerous, if you know what I mean. Interesting. Looked like litigation waiting to happen. If you miss an hour, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. A bloody figure, a naked man creeping in the shadows as she slept in bed, scissors in hand. Just threatened me. He got in next to her, but she stayed calm. Family and friends noticed something was off. Holt's daughter in Seattle saw texts weren't being read by her mom. There were also no updates on a popular phone game. I didn't send my older daughter a wordle in the morning, and that was disconcerting to her. Friends and family called Lincolnwood police, leading to this hours-long standoff with the man. Family says the SWAT team used a stun gun through this hole in the door to subdue him. I mostly asked Michael to play that tape to annoy Jack because he is tired of hearing about Wordle. <laughs> yes, I have heard it again today. I had almost made it through the whole show. I have yet to go a whole day without hearing or seeing the word Wordle in about the last three weeks. I still don't even really know what it is. If I wanted to know, I would Google it. He has curdled on Wordle. Uh, what was you the want... other? Oh, oh, I came across this this long piece by one of the big researchers in this area about what brings happiness and what doesn't. This mm. made me made me question everything. I want to hear that, or it will if I ever finish it. Do you want to feel old? Well, who, what kind of a question is <laughs> what, that? What kind of a question is that? <laughs> I and, already do. And these things only work really if you are. I don't know if "old's" the right term. I was watching. Um, I was about to be, say Bob Saget. Did you see the, the the news on Bob Saget yesterday? Yeah. So he, th- they did the autopsy, and, you know, I'm happy to hear that it came back and it's not drugs or anything like that, because every once in a while, you know, there's a mysterious death, and then you find that out. And it wasn't, but he had, he had apparently hit his head at yeah. some point. And not enough in a bad way to, like, go to the doctor or anything like that, but it caused bleeding on his brain, and he died in his sleep from hitting his head. Yeah. 
Whew. He took a blow to the head. Somehow or other, didn't think of enough, uh, didn't think enough of it to get treatment. But yeah. Well, God, if we all went to the doctor every time we hit our head on something, especially me, God, I've hit my head on something ten times in the last month. Really? I don't think I hit my head that often. I've been going through a roll. I said to my kids the other day, I said, what is wrong with me? The number of times I hit my head on, like, I leave the cupboard door open, the high one or whatever, and turn around and crack the corner of it or something like that. I've been doing that a lot. But you can't go to the ER and get a scan. They wouldn't do it for you. <laughs> Every time you hit your head. And yeah. uh, he apparently didn't think much of it, and it killed him. Anyway, <sighs> so I wasn't thinking of Bob Saget. I was thinking of Ray Romano. The comedian who's got a new special out that was, which is actually really funny. Him coming back to comedy for the first time in many years, I thought it was really good. He said, "I'm not willing to say I'm old, but I'm not young." I thought that's a perfect description of where I feel like I am. I'm, not, I don't, I'm not old. I don't feel old. I don't, but I'm not young. I'm willing to admit I'm not young. Oh yeah. And anytime somebody says this will make you feel old, it only works if you're not young. Barack Obama tweeted this out. It was 15 years ago today that he announced his candidacy for the presidency. 15 years. Wow. Obama. That stuns me. Maybe it doesn't you, but wow. To carry the one. Wow. Wow. Presidential elections are too long. That's what I take from that. <laughs> Uh, so a little bonus mailbag. I'd like to get to the fact that a couple of Republican senators are saying the State Department inappropriate, cl- inappropriately classified some of Hunter Biden's emails about his work in Ukraine, and it appears to be purely to withhold or to prevent any scrutiny of what was actually going on there. So the State Department classified private emails to impede an investigation. You probably won't hear about that, the mainstream media. You almost certainly won't. So a couple of folks have been weighing in um, uh, uh, via email on some of the stuff we've been talking about, and, and some of it's terrific. I thought I'd share some of it with you. Um, uh, he calls himself Anonymous, longtime listener, retired California police officer here, with comments on the whole crack pipe distribution story. When I started my career circa 1990, possession of a hypodermic needle was a misdemeanor and an arrestable offense. During my career, the DA at some point decided they would no longer charge for possession. Further down the road, that translated to officers no longer arresting people for it because it wouldn't be prosecuted anyway. In the end, it became total decriminalization. Enter the needle exchange program. I always thought they were a bad idea. I always thought they just encouraged drug use. At least I could wrap my head around the idea that drug addicts using clean needles may slow or stop the spread of HIV and hepatitis B, theoretically at least. But now we're giving out crack pipes? Is there a public safety component here that I'm not seeing? Is it possible that someone is saying that a crack pipe that is shared could be a vector for COVID-19 or something? If that's the case, I sure haven't heard that argument made. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I was saying the other day, is there evidence that this has ever done any good? This has been around for a while, this whole giving out needles or safe spaces to do drugs or whatever. Is there any evidence this has helped anybody? Or, or ended up with less drug addicts. I, I haven't seen it, if it are, if there is. So, I'm sorry, you're asking whether a government program has achieved its stated goals? Meanwhile, what by the way, thing to ask. every once in a while I need a syringe to give my son medicine. Not the needle part, just the plastic part. Where you suck the medicine up? Go to, go to your local drugstore and get one of those. Try that today. Say you need one of those plastic syringe things. Good luck. Good luck. 
And as this policeman's talking about, they used to arrest people for having a needle. And now we're handing them out. But if you, as a non-drug-using regular citizen, you can't get the little plastic thing just because you want to suck up some liquid with it. Of course not. What kind of... It's so weird. And then he points out, let's not forget that fentanyl, synthetic heroin, is present in virtually all crack and meth, etc. This is a government-sanctioned, assisted creation of citizen addicts. Addicts. This will end badly. Uh, Michael, plays clip number 15, would you please? This is the lovely Jen Pasaki. And this pushback is... The they were never a part of the kit. It was inaccurate reporting, and we wanted to put out information to make that clear. What is in the safe smoking kit? Uh, a safe smoking kit may contain alcohol swabs, lip balm, other materials to promote hygiene and reduce the transmission of diseases like HIV and hepatitis. Yeah, except yesterday the White House was saying, yes, there are smoking devices in these safe smoking kits. That was that fact check that we read yeah. where uh, it was declared false by somebody. <laughs> but it states it states that that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, weird. Uh, then this on a uh, different topic, but I so thought it was... A- so you're not calling it a crack pipe, you're calling it a smoking kit. That's the difference? Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, I thought this was a really good point. Uh, Reno Joe writes, guys, you were talking about NPR easily dismissing the Canadian protests as disingenuous by showing a Confederate flag or a swastika in the crowd. In the case of the swastika, 99.9% of the time, the protesters are not promoting Nazism at all, but are rather accusing their political enemies of acting like Nazis. This reminds me of a statement Pelosi made a few years ago. A bunch of conservatives were protesting her, Obama. She complained that there were these horrible signs with the swastikas in the crowd. Emphasis on the wrong syllable for some bizarre reason. That's how she actually pronounced it, writes Reno Joe. Swastika. She insisted that the protesters were actually a bunch of white supremacists and American Nazi members, which was quite the opposite. They were calling her a Nazi. I don't think she's that dumb. I assume she purposely misinterpreted the signs and the lapdog media dutifully followed along that's a good point reno joe uh too many of our twitter followers four is the answer because i got a bunch of questions how many of the deviled eggs did i eat last night i tweeted out a picture of my impulse buy of deviled eggs there were six of them in the package as impulse buys go that's a pretty good one i ate four i could have eaten all six i just felt like I didn't know how I would handle six of them. Six is a lot. does seem like a lot. That's what my my brain was telling me. Jack, six is a lot of deviled eggs. Is there a food with more density than the deviled egg? It's a dense food. It's a dense food. I ate them while I watched the movie Don't Look Up, which I could not recommend more highly to anyone. That oh, is I one... heard that. It's a global warming metaphor and tiresome. I want to hang out with you. Um, that is one funny movie commenting on everything about modern life and i mean everything i can't wait to watch it the the problem with seeing it in the theater would be you can't you wouldn't be able to pause it to say okay they just hit me with like eight things there (laughs) it's coming at me too fast of all the things they're making fun of tiktok challenges or or celebrity culture or sex scandals or everything you could possibly imagine was it like dryly funny or was it lol funny both yeah It, it, it seemed very south parky yeah, to me, love it. Just it was you couldn't. I couldn't figure out the politics of it. It was just all over the place. It was just commenting on all the weirdness of modern society. I really appreciate guys like Leonardo DiCaprio who were sex symbols 
when they were coming up, and then they and they and they don't feel like they need to hang on to that. It just doesn't matter to them at all if they play the play a non sex symbol role. There mm-hmm. aren't that many people, men or women, that do that. No, you're right. Uh, I think it helps that Leo, who is now well into dad bod territory, oh, still yeah, pulls twenty two year old models, especially in this movie. And he's not a cool character. There are a lot of people like I don't think, uh, guy, you got to go way back, but I don't think like I know John Wayne, um, um, uh, da, 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 the guy died young, Steve McQueen. A lot of them. I don't think they would ever play a non cool character. They always had to be the cool guy. Leonardo DiCaprio and some actors are perfectly okay. He's playing a, a schlubby guy with anxiety problems. Yeah, I think part of that is the era. Honestly, you think so? the whole star making machinery and, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Now you get rewarded for playing the geek or being ugly like uh what's his name who what's her name who portrayed Eileen Warnos, this serial killing prostitute gal, uh tall drink of water, blonde headed South African. Somebody Charlie's Theron. That's the one. Or uh or 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 uh, uh Renee Zellweger. I actually remembered an actor's name. Yes. Uh who uh is now portraying some sort of weird Florida killing mom. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, I have a weird bias against the super pretty actors and actresses. I always assume that they're, they got the job because of their looks and they're not that good. And sometimes that's true. But it's not true in the case of Leonardo DiCaprio or, or, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, J-Law. She's really good. Yeah. And fantastic and don't look up, which is nominated for best picture. And it's my pick to win best picture because it's the only film I've seen <laughs> of the 12 listed. All right. Uh, we're going to finish strong next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We're going to go bigger on COVID and masks in schools tomorrow. We never got around to it, although a local school we mentioned where uh, they had quite a battle last night. Kid got kicked out for not wearing a mask. Actually, it happens to be the same school where the kids protested for more chocolate milk. But the, the, that protesting, good. Protesting masks, you must go. Wow. So the chocolate milk got coast-to-coast uh, coverage. The mask thing, nothing to see here. Oh, speaking of uh, poor attendance, I find this fascinating. They discovered a, is this a parchment? Yes, yeah, some 3,200-year-old ancient Egyptian par- like parchment, you know, old paper with, uh, let's see, what um, what language is this? Uh, that, like, like you, you might speak it. It's hieratic script. Mm. Okay. And they've, uh, gone to the trouble of translating it. And it turned to, it turned out to be an ancient Egyptian attendance register for some sort of job site. And the reasons for. Hey, these abs- pyramids aren't going to bur- uh, build themselves. Hop to it. Come on now. The reasons for worker absence. Uh, included embalming brother. I'm sorry, I can't be at work Tuesday. I've got to embalm Eddie. Your brother? What, is he dead? No, he's alive. I'm, I'm sorry. You're right. Of course he is. Go ahead, take the day off. The uh, other reasons included brewing beer. You can take a day off for that back when you are an Egyptian? 
Maybe you say, look, keep a case, I'll bring a case. Foreman says, all right, we'll see you Thursday. (laughs) I don't know. And uh, also, scorpion bit him. Which is funny, because scorpions sting you. They don't bite you. And... Way to lecture a 3,200-year-old Egyptian for not (laughs) being up on there. And the whole, yeah, yeah, I can't come in today, a uh, scorpion bit me. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I feel terrible. God, I think I might die. Anyway, I'll I'll try to come in tomorrow. Even though what he's going to do is make the mummy with two backs with his old lady. (laughs) Well played. Oh, hey, oh. (laughs) He's going to go to the camel races. Don't be a fool. (laughs) Make this (laughs) two backs. Eh, anyway, archaeology, fun for young and old alike. And yes, that was a Bangles vocal drop. That's what that was. <laughs> wow. Oh, Excellent hey, oh. reference. <laughs> Beautiful reference. Um, I've been thinking about this mask thing. I'm trying to form it. There's like I can't quite form something in my head about what's going on with the mask thing, but people are dug in and... It clearly isn't about keeping kids from getting sick, I don't think, for most uh, people. Oh, and I don't I, even know if they know that. I think there's some complicated human nature stuff going on. I don't, I don't even know if people realize that they're dug in on this for emotional reasons rather than scientific reasons right and if you sprinkle in a fair amount of disinformation as well people good point misinformed about the danger of kids then you've got a a pretty potent like coalition of people who are into you know right keeping lockdowns permanent if you barely pay attention to news you flip it on now and then and your favorite hosts are talking about isn't it terrible they're thinking about letting kids be in school without masks just in your mind that's a bad thing to do Right, right. Jim Garrity wrote a great piece. Maybe we'll share some of it with you tomorrow, but um, uh, it's uh, the open everything meltdown exposes the COVID psychosis. And he talks about for some Americans being the best at following the rules has become their identity. If you take away the rules, what makes them special? What makes them unique and good and better than other people? That's become their identity. Interesting. Final thoughts with Angie. Love that. I like the soft rock of the 70s. Here's your host for Joe uh, for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day. There he is, pressing the buttons in the control room. Our technical director, Michael. Michelangelo, final thought? Yeah, for um, my final thought, I need Jack's assistance. He was talking about inflation today, and he said the price of OJ is down 12%. So please repeat that, Jack. Yeah, the price of OJ is uh, up 12%. Damn! I'm just saying. There you go. I wanted so badly to do that, and I finally got yeah. a chance to do Timing. it. Timing. At the time, that would have been hilarious. It yeah, that would have been. been great. <laughs> would have been great. Young Alex is our behind-the-scenes producer. He has a final thought for us. Alex? Jack, you said you had you ordered a package of six deviled eggs. You only ate four, Correct. right? Yes. Those are rookie numbers. You need to bump those numbers up. You can easily do 12. Well, I'll check in with you when you're my age and see how many you eat in one sitting. <laughs> I bet you I will. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, uh, Jack, do you have a final thought you'd like to share with us? Uh, two quick things. One, couldn't recommend Don't Look Up More Highly. If you liked Idiocracy, then you you definitely will like Don't Look Up. Um, Valentine's Day is coming up on Monday, so my uh, youngest is working on his Valentine's for school. They're doing their thing tomorrow. So he's got to fill out all the little Valentine's, the names and that sort of stuff. So cute. 
Uh, yeah. We'll talk more about that late tomorrow on how much it's changed since I was a kid. Oh, boy, yeah. Glad to hear he's doing the whole school thing and enjoying it. Oh, though. yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, gosh, my final thought is I think tomorrow's show is going to be a blockbuster. We've got a lot of good stuff brewing, some interesting topics and and clips we want to play for you that we didn't get to today. But we're all putting it together into a brilliant package of information you're going to enjoy. We are going to single-handedly, though there are two of us, double-handedly end idiotic mask mandates tomorrow. Oh, wow. Armstrong yes. and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. So little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. You can email us. If there's something we ought to be talking about, send along the link or whatever. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. You'll also find the hot links at the website. You can pick up some AMG swag if you like. It helps keep the guys on the payroll. Uh, just see what uh, we're talking about. Armstrongandgetty.com. Oh, the podcasts are there, too, of course. Of course, the podcast. We will see you tomorrow. God bless America. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, guys. I'm strong and getty. Listen up, Jack Wagon. And boom goes the dynamite. What the freak are you even talking about? Uh... Okay. Screw it. I'm leaving. Point of personal privilege. It's a little too much docky dog. Glad that it kept care. Do you understand? I cannot understand the word you're saying. Come on. Have you been a good little Nazi? No, thank you. Okay. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.